Here is another powerful message from New Vision Baptist Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. To hear the rest of this series and others, join us at newvisionlife.com. We are studying uh, through the book of Acts, and uh, for some of you, that may not intrigue you that much if you're sort of new to the church, but the book of Acts was written by a physician named Luke who set out to show us this incredible movement of the first church, this 30-year period from the time that Jesus ascended into heaven and this establishment of the early church. And, and, and really what he's saying is this movement was really unleashed. And, and so you, you may be here and you've grown up around so much skepticism in, in college. Every story from the Old Testament was criticized by maybe a professor and, and folks have all kinds of reasons why they don't believe this or that about the Bible. What no one has been able to explain is the movement of the first church. How 120 people with no money, uh, no power, no influence launched this movement that literally turned the world upside down. In just a, a few centuries, close to 4 million followers of Jesus Christ. And so we're studying through the book of Acts to see what happened. But today, we come to a, a very interesting story in the book of Acts that really forces us to think about one thing, and that is pretending. George MacDonald said this, he said, half the misery in the world comes from trying to look instead of trying to be what one is not. And I would say that about my own life. Most of the problems that, that I have had in my own life have really come when I've, I've I've tried to pretend and I was trying to be something that I'm not. I have some friends in Texas and, and they have this phrase and at first I didn't really understand them. They, they would talk about a guy and they'd say, he's a big hat, no cattle guy. That's kind of weird. Anybody from Texas here? There's nobody in here from Texas. Okay, one, that one Texan. Usually people from Texas yell and scream out. I hope there's nobody here from Florida. That would be way too soon to come in after what happened in Knoxville last night. But anyways, we'll let Texans in here. <laughs> so... Big hat, no cattle. What does that mean? He's just got an appearance. He's a, he's a pretender. Can I just tell you, here's the sermon in a sentence today. Pretending is a killer. And we're going to see it in God's Word. If you have your Bible, let's go ahead and open them up to Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 32. And, and Nick did a great job last week of, of sharing the story of, of Simon Peter as he heals this man lame from birth and how God used that in such a powerful, powerful way. And, and now we turn our attention to a very unique story, a, a different story, and to be honest, a pretty difficult story. And so today, we're really going to ask the question, because there's only two types of people in a church, and, and that, that's really contenders, those who are contending for the faith, and pretenders. And so which one am I? Acts chapter 4, verse 32, let's jump in and get going here this morning. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions were their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was powerfully at work within them. And let me just say this very quickly. Where there is unity in a church, you will see the Spirit of God move in power. And where there is disunity in a church, you won't see movement. And so that's what's so important to us here at New Vision. We're going to disagree, right? People disagree all the time, but we're going to disagree the right way because we understand how important unity is. And the first church was a unified group of people. And it says that God's grace was powerfully at work within them. And when it says there were no needy persons among them, 
I don't think, this is my opinion, I don't think that they're saying that there, there, there wasn't a needy person in Jerusalem. Of course there would have been needy people in Jerusalem, but as we're studying through Acts, what happened just uh, two short chapters before? Pentecost happened. If you were here two weeks ago, remember Pentecost with this high holy day when Jews from all over the empire came to Jerusalem? Do you remember that? Somebody could nod. And so 3,000 people were saved as Simon Peter spoke. Remember they were speaking in tongues, in other words, a language that they could understand. And so many of those new believers would have stayed in Jerusalem. As they're there in Jerusalem, they wouldn't have owned, a, wouldn't have had a house, they wouldn't have had jobs, they wouldn't have owned any land, and so they had financial needs. So the early church met those financial needs of these new believers who were there in Jerusalem. That's sort of the context for our story. Now, it says, from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put them at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Verse 36, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. The first church, they were into, into nicknames. They're kind of like, you know, baseball players are into nicknames. They, they, they named this guy Barney, which means he's an encourager, son of encouragement. And so this is going to be significant. So Barnabas, by the way, Barnabas to me is one of the true heroes in the book of Acts. He doesn't get a lot of play. But he's mentioned six times in the book of Acts, and it's phenomenal each and every time that he's mentioned. And he is a true encourager. Do you remember when the Apostle Paul comes to faith in Christ? What had Paul been doing prior to coming to faith in Christ? Persecuting Christians, right? And so as he comes, Paul now tries to come and be around the apostles. They're like, no way, bro. You're not in my small group. And it's Barnabas who takes him in. It's, it's Barnabas who goes on the first missionary journey with Paul. It's Barnabas that on that missionary journey, there was a young guy named John Mark. And, and John Mark gets a little overwhelmed on the mission field, so he heads back home. And then after he gets back home, uh, he's convicted, and he comes back, and he apologizes to Paul and says, I want to join the team again. And Paul says, no way, you're out. Evidently, Paul wrote a lot about grace, but at this particular time, didn't have a lot of grace for John Mark. And it was, it was Barnabas who says, you know what, that's okay, I'll go with you, John Mark. And so he's an he's encourager. He's really a picture of, of someone who contends for the faith. He paints a picture of a, a person who's transformed by the, by the Spirit. It says that Barnabas, verse 37, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now, this, this is, again, my opinion because the Scripture says he was a Levite, and so Levites could not own land. It's, it's, it's my opinion that maybe what Barnabas is selling is the only piece of land he had, which would have been a burial plot. And so he's selling that to, to be able to provide for the needs uh, of those new believers who were in Jerusalem. Now, let's look at Acts chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, you ought to underline that, with his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Now I want to say something about Ananias and, and, and Sapphira just really quickly. You guys with me? This is a crazy story, man. I mean, this is, this is nuts, right? In the last service, I can tell there are folks that, you know, watching it, they, they really probably had never heard this story before, and they're, they're not interested. And then you start hearing what happens to Ananias and Sapphira, and you can tell they're like flipping through their Bible like, seriously, this is in Scripture? And so Ananias and Sapphira sell a piece of property right on the heels of what Barnabas did. And here's what they're thinking. Wow, Barnabas got some play for selling that piece of property. He got a nickname. We'd like a nickname. And so Ananias and Sapphira, they love the praise of people and they love money. And so here, they, they didn't have to sell that piece of property. And, and, and what they're going to do, they're going to be dishonest about it. Let's say they sold that piece of property for $30,000 and they come back and they, and they bring $10,000. And, and they're, just, they're lying about it. They didn't have to give any. But what's at stake here is their dishonesty. 
right? And so it says Sapphira, her full knowledge of what happened. So she's complicit in, in this. I would say this about Ananias and Sapphira. Some of you may disagree with me, and that, that's okay. You can be wrong. I, 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 think, I think they were believers. They were part of the first church in Jerusalem. And the first church was quite serious about folks who were part of their, of their membership. There, there was evidence in their, in their life that, that they had been converted. Now, can I tell you something? Believers can pretend in certain areas of their life. I think all of us are pretenders in some area of our life, and certainly Ananias and Sapphira were, were, were pretending uh, here. Uh, verse 3, then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money that you received from the land? Please understand this because when you're listening, I, I know it's hard to get everything. The problem isn't. The problem isn't that they didn't bring all the money from the sale of their land. you understand? What was the problem? They lied about it. That, that's what's in stake here, at stake here. And Simon Peter, who's the leader of, of, of the church there in Jerusalem, says, why have you lied to the Holy Spirit? Now, here's the problem with pretenders. When I pretend, I think God doesn't see what's going on. We think we're the only one that knows what's going on in this area of our life. And they thought they could get away with it because pretenders always believe that. Let's look at uh, verse 4. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to human beings but to God. Now when Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And one of the great understatements in, in all of Scripture and great fear seized all who heard what happened. Yeah, I bet, right? I mean, if, you, if you're in that service and Ananias comes up, he's taking a selfie with Simon Peter, hashtag blessed, brings the, brings the gift in, and then the, you can tell they're talking. You don't know what they're talking about. And then all of a sudden, this dude just drops out dead. You're like, I just got real in God's house today. You know, great fear. Now, I, I would say this. If you watch this, the church had great grace, the church had great power, but it isn't till Ananias and Sapphira that they had great fear. We're going to come back to that. That's going to be very, very important. Now, watch what happens next. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and, and buried him. We have some college students here. That, you know, we have interns here. We never ask our interns to do anything like this. This is what it was like to intern in the first church in Jerusalem. <laughs> Dead body, go ahead and take them out. That's what the interns do. We don't, we don't do that. About three hours later, his wife, Sapphira, came in. Not knowing what had happened, Peter asked her, Tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said. That is the price. I want to just stop and say something here to ladies. And this, this could be offensive. And so maybe I'm not talking to you, but in 20-some-odd years of counseling, I've heard this over and over again. There's really a, a misunderstanding of biblical submission. Submission is never, submitting to your husband is never walking into known sin and sinning deliberately against God. That's not biblical submission. Do you understand that? What Sapphira was doing here, she was deliberately sinning against, against God and she knew it was wrong and she is having to give accounting for her sin. Now, sometimes here's the part that can be con offensive. I hear this. These are, this is kind of just a, a hodgepodge of, of, of how I heard this played out. Well, you know what, Pastor Brady, my husband, he, he's not a spiritual leader in our home, and, and he's not serious about discipling our kids, and he doesn't, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't attend church. He doesn't bring our kids to church. He doesn't do this, and he doesn't do that. So, in other words, I, I feel like, you know what, what am I to do? Uh, I, I, can't do I can't do anything. It's, it's his fault. You know what, you're still going to stand before God 
with your life and what you've done with what you know to be true as a follower of Jesus Christ. You're going to have to give accounting for that. Do you understand that? Sapphira did. She clearly did. Now to men, let me just tell you this. Ananias' sin didn't just cost him. It cost his wife her life as well. Can I tell you something, guys? If you're pretending in any area of your life today, it won't just cost you. It costs everybody in your family. You need to know that. All right? That's what we see. Now let, let's go on a little, little further, right? Peter said to her, verse 9, how could you uh, conspire to test the Holy Spirit? That word there in the Greek means to tempt uh, the Holy Spirit, to ask the Holy Spirit to bless something that is not accurate, not, not true. Test the Holy Spirit. Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down dead at his feet. Then the young men came in, finding her dead, carried her out, and buried her behind, beside her husband. Here it is again. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Uh, let's take out our notes, and for the next uh, 15 or 20 minutes, let, let's talk about a couple things I think are super important from this story. Not everything we could get from this story, but a couple things that are really important. Here's sermon in a sentence. Are you ready? What are we talking about here today? Pretending will kill you. Pretending will kill you. Most of the problems in my life have been a result of me being a pretender. What is, the, what, is the, what is the opposite of pretending? The opposite of pretending is contending. And, and, and Barnabas, that's why these stories are together. Barnabas' story and Ananias and Sapphira's story together because we're supposed to compare them. And we're going to see that in Barnabas we see a picture of a man who's transformed by the power of the gospel. And it's not just this one story, but it's lived out all the way through Acts. And so let's ask this first question. Why did Barnabas do what he did? Why did Barnabas do what he did? He sold a piece of property, maybe the only piece of property that he had, and then gave it to those who have need. Well, I'll tell you the first reason why he did what he did, because he's a picture of a spirit-filled man, because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and the only, the, the only difference, I'm either going to be filled with the Spirit or I'm going to be full of, full of myself. You ever hear people say that? Boy, he's full of himself. That's never a good thing, is it? I've been keeping my... Um, grandson helping out this week because it's a the the retreat for the women and so my grandson has been full of himself this weekend for large stretches of the weekend you know he's really full of himself and there have been times that I've been full of myself the only antidote for that is to be full of the spirit what does it mean to be full of the spirit Barnabas was a man who was full of the spirit now we could talk about this for hours. Let me, tell you, let me tell you one thing that I think could be very super helpful. The moment you come to faith in Christ, you receive the Holy Spirit. You understand that? But what does it mean to be full of the Holy Spirit? Letting the Holy Spirit loose in your life to, to really unleash His power and His presence and do a great work within you. Well, how am I filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, let me, let me explain it to you this way. Yesterday, I came in about lunchtime. I'd been doing some work, and I, I got home about lunchtime, and uh, uh, my son said, TV's, cable's out. Cable's out. Like, I never worry about the cable except Saturdays in the fall. Like, I care less if our TV is out, to be honest, except Saturdays in the fall. And I just go into full-scale panic, right? Because, I mean, we got, we got some kickoffs that are about to happen here. And so I'm, I'm, I'm calling. And so when you call, they, they give you all this list. And if you work for the cable company, good for you. God bless you. Um, f follow, follow, the, follow the prompts, Right? And so press one, if so, and so, so you have to follow the prompts to get to who you need to be. Can I tell you something? Here's just, here's filling of the Holy Spirit 101, start following the prompts. Let me go ahead and tell you what's going to happen. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit resides within you, you will get a prompt tomorrow morning. 
That prompt tomorrow morning is going to be to stop and spend time with him, spend time in the presence of the Lord. You're going to either follow that prompt or you're going to reject that prompt, right? And throughout the day, you're going to have to follow prompts. Uh, if you're like me, you're going to say something that is offensive maybe to your wife or to somebody, and, and it's going to be disobedient to the Lord. You're going to get a prompt to confess that and make that right in real time. Am I going to be obedient to that prompt or not? Uh, Wednesday night, I, I got home. It was Wednesday night. It was kind of late, and and I, I, I was sitting in her kitchen. The TV was already on, so it was somebody else's fault, right? And I'm sitting down, and it's a, it's a movie. And I'm not trying to be legalistic here. I'm just trying to say this is, I, I, I want to be, be, be filled with the Spirit. I, I've had what the world says is where it's at. doesn't work. I want God's power and His Spirit. I want His presence more than anything else. Anybody else here with me? I've tasted a little bit of that. It leaves an aftertaste. I want the Holy Spirit. So I, I'm sitting there, and there's a movie on. I've heard of this movie. And uh, it, was, it was funny. Uh, it was really inappropriate. And I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm, I'm laughing. And, uh, and all of a sudden I get a prompt. A prompt comes in. Do you know what that is? That's the Holy Spirit reminding me to guard my heart. Because the, the Bible says it's what? It's the wellspring of life. In other words, what I take in is going to manifest itself and what comes out. It's going to, we said a couple weeks ago the Holy Spirit, is the Holy Spirit a force or a person? We're going to have to go back two weeks. We're going to go back and redo it. We've got to do a remedial Holy Spirit, right? <laughs> Holy Spirit's a person. Holy Spirit's not a force. I mean, a force isn't bothered by those things, but if the Holy Spirit is a person who resides within me, what I'm taking in, does he take it in? Quick answer, yes. And so there was a prompt. This isn't healthy. This isn't good. So I have a decision. Am I going to change or am I going to stay? Listen, if you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, there's, we, could talk, we could do a, a seminar on that. We could talk for hours. You wouldn't stay, but we could do it. Just try this this week. Why don't you try to start following the prompts and see what happens? Why did Barnabas do what he did? He followed the prompts. He was a spirit-led man, okay? Number two, he had a healthy fear. He had a healthy fear of who God was. Did any of you grow up in a church and, and you know, you sang hymns on Sunday morning? I did. Love them. Love hymns. Uh, my wife, she breaks the hymnal out with a little Casio keyboard in our house. She'll still play them. We'll, we'll sing them. Not well, but we do. Uh, most popular hymn in the, in the history of the church, what would you say? Amazing Grace, right? Now, in my church growing up, we sang the first and the third stanza. That's what the worship leader says. Stand with me. Sing, we're going to sing the first and the third stanza. You know why that is? Because we don't understand the second one. Help me with this. You remember the second verse of Amazing Grace? "'Twas grace that taught my "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear. Stop for a moment. Grace, God's supernatural enabling, taught my heart first to do what? Fear. Is that weird for anybody? That's why we didn't sing it. And grace, my fear, relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour what? I first believed. What was John Newton saying? He was saying this. That's the author of Amazing Grace. He was saying, you will never love God until you first fear God. One of the reasons why you don't love him is you don't fear him. Now, grace teaches us first to fear him, to have a healthy respect and awe, and then grace releases us from that fear. We don't have to fear judgment of God any longer. You see that? 
That's what grace does. But I'm still aware of the power of who God is. I, I, I would try to illustrate it this way. Years ago, I was in uh, northern Ontario with a buddy. We're out on a beautiful lake. We're in the middle of nowhere. We have a rented boat and a 15-horsepower uh, tiller steer, steer motor. It topped out at 7 miles an hour, wide open. And here comes a storm. I'm a guy. We can wait a little bit. We wait and wait, and then all of a sudden, like a, I, I explain it this way. This is not exaggerated. It was, it, was, it, was, it was like a scene from Raiders of the Lost Ark. I, I look back down the lake, and I see it coming, and it's not raining. It's hail, and it, it's not little hail. It's kill you hail, right? I mean, the, the water's just churning as the hail's hitting, and so here we go, and we're just screaming down the lake at seven miles an hour, and I can see, I can see, and it's coming, it's coming, and here's the cabin. And so well, I'm just going as fast as I can. I didn't even go to the dock. I just ran the boat right up there on the dock. We jumped out and ran into the cabin, and, and about two minutes later, boom, it hits, and it is just pelting this cabin with this hail. We see it bouncing off of everything that was outside. And I looked, and I said, you know what? I'm not going out there in that. I'm thankful that I am secure, but I am respectful of the power that exists. And let me tell you something. I think that's what it means, first of all, to love God, to have a healthy fear of who he is. And the difference between Barnabas and Ananias and Sapphira didn't have the right fear of God because you can't love without first fearing. Now, to summarize Barnabas before we go on, Barnabas is really a picture of a gospel-transformed man. We talk about that here. Our mission is that we would lead people, guide people to lives of gospel transformation. And when somebody is transformed by the gospel, here's what it looks like. It looks like there's a loosening grip on stuff and a tightening grip on people. Again, we're, this is not a message where we're, we're asking for money. We've already taken up the offering. But I'll tell you, here's how you know the gospel is transforming your life because you have a loosening grip on your stuff and you have a tightening grip on people and making disciples. That's what Barnabas did, all right? Now, let's look and compare Barnabas, the contender, to Ananias and Sapphira, the pretender. You have your notes? Now, if, if Barnabas is a person who's contending for the faith, Ananias and Sapphira are pretenders. Now watch, what's so important? Why did Ananias and Sapphira do what they did? That's a good question to ask, isn't it? Why did Ananias and Sapphira do what they did? They, they lied, right? Why, why did they lie? Well, first of all, here, here's something very quickly. Pretenders live like owners, not like stewards. That was their problem. They just lived like everything was theirs instead of realizing everything belonged to God and they were to manage it and steward it. And, and here's the second thing, and this is really important. Watch this. Please lock in here. Please. Pretenders are more concerned with the praise of men than the praise of God. I have lived most of my life like this, and it has cost me dearly. I have lived most of my life being more concerned and being addicted. I have been an addict for most of my life to the praise of men. You see, pretenders are more concerned with the praise of men than they are the praise of God. That's what, that was Ananias and Sapphira. They saw Barnabas getting some play in the church, so they said, hey, we'd like some of that. And they were dishonest. They, they wanted praise of men. Their image was more important than God's image. You see, many times we'll make mistakes financially, get our family in a financial mess because our image, that's what this culture is all about today. Image, image, it's an image-driven culture, and it's a lie. It's not real. Do you understand that? And pretending, can, can I tell pretending will kill you. And if you're more concerned about your image than God's glory, you are a pretender. 
Now, here's the next question. What do I do with that? Here's what we do most of the time in the church. We look at what Ananias and Sapphira did. They lied, right? So let's deal with that. Do you understand that they're lying? Now, this is going to, watch what I'm about to say. That's not the real problem. That was the smoke. Their dishonesty was the smoke. If you want real change, if you want to be unleashed, you've got to go down and find the fire in your life because the fire burns from the altar of whatever you worship. And everybody, let's just be honest, everybody in here today, in some area, we're pretenders. And so what causes that? Where there's something burning on the altar, the, the, the altar of, of whatever it is that I'm worshiping. Now, I think this story is very important because it tells us two things that Ananias and Sapphira worship. They worship the praise of men and they worship their stuff. And so what they did was, it was really pretty shrewd. They said, hey, here's a way, here's a way that we can get the praise of, of man and, and keep our stuff. It sh- they, they showed who their gods were. You see that? But let me tell you, this is where if you really, and this is Christianity 201. And some of you, you're not ready to go here yet. Because most of people are ready to, we just want to kind of fan the smoke, just fan the smoke out of the kitchen just for a little bit so we can kind of carry on with our life. But if some of you are, you're tired of fanning the smoke and you want to get to the source of the problem and you want to be free, anybody want to be unleashed? Anybody ready to be unleashed? You're tired and exhausted with just fanning the smoke. You got to go to the altar and see what's burning there. It's whatever your worship that's burning there that's causing the smoke and creating so much confusion and keeping you captive in your life. Well, I'll tell you three things that are probably on altars today. Pleasure, praise, and possessions. Ananias and Sapphira had two of them. So those are the things that are on our altars today. We live for pleasure and we will do anything. We will lie. We will try to, to do whatever we have to do to, to put ourselves in a position where we can have pleasure in that moment. We won't praise. We'll do whatever we can do to get praise of, of people. Man, that, that's been me. So many times I've, I've been with someone and I knew I needed to share the truth with them, but I wouldn't share the truth with them because I wanted, to, I wanted them to like me more than I wanted them to get healthy. Is that messed up? I'm talking about me. You can agree with that. It's okay. Yeah, it's messed up. But you know what that is? That's being addicted to praise. So I have to say, God, what do I want more in my life? I want to spend the rest of my life. I want the praise of God more than I want the praise of men. See? And so... You don't just need to fan away the smoke. You need to put out the fire because pretending is deadly. And you say, well, how can I begin to pretend? How can I begin to put the fire out? Here it is. Here it is. You start tomorrow. Start today. Start following the prompts because that's what the Holy Spirit came to do, to release you and to make you holy. You start following the prompts. And listen, here's what the Holy Spirit will do. The Holy Spirit will fill you. And part of being filled with the Holy Spirit means that you're having a sense of satisfaction, a sense of contentment, a sense of peace, a sense of knowing how much God loves you, that you don't crave the other thing as much. Does that make sense to you a little bit? That's what God's leading you to do. And if you don't do that, pretending will kill you. Can I tell you something about our church that I want for our church? Listen, listen. Here's what I want our church to be. I want our church to be a place where it's okay to not be okay. I want our church to be a place where we're done pretending because it's deadly and it forfeits the grace you could get. Well, how's it going today? Mickey, how you doing today? Doing good. But you know what? I know Mickey and he knows me. If Mickey came up to me today and said, hey, Brady, how you doing today? And I said, well, I'm doing good. That's not true. 
Today, I, I have some areas of struggle in my life. I have some struggles, of, I have some issues of doubt, and I have some anxiety, and I have some frustration in my life. And if I really get honest with Mickey, I know what he's going to do. He's going to start praying for me. He's going to start encouraging me. Do you see it? And so if I pretend, I forfeit the grace that could be mine. Do you see it? I just wish pain is worse. And you're pretending today, and by pretending, it will ultimately kill you. And you're forfeiting the grace that could be yours. Here's one of the things that's interesting. Here's why I know this is so important to the heart of God. You think about the people in the Bible that we would look at and we said there are Bible heroes. I mean, the Apostle Paul, we mentioned him. Let's just go there. It's pretty easy. You could pick just any number of ones you want to except for Jesus. I mean, would you say the Apostle Paul kind of had it dialed in spiritually? Help me. Yeah, but here's a guy who left him on a mission trip, wanted to come back, and Paul said, you're out. One and done with me. That's messed up, isn't it, right? That's a wart. Like, Paul, what gives? Paul had warts. He eventually has to come back and confess that. But if Paul had warts, so do we. How much more do we? We can be honest about them. Everybody's pretending in some area of their life. In your job, your marriage today, how many of you are pretending in your marriage? It's not where you want it to be. There's real struggles, and you're forfeiting the grace that could be yours by not being honest with, with, with somebody, with your children. Man, I know what it's like as a pastor to pretend about your kids. I, I'm raised two boys or raising two boys. They haven't always done what they were supposed to do. It's a hard thing when you're, when you're a, a pastor, and, and, and some of you guys get that, some of you don't. And so there have been, been times in my life, how's everything going on with the boys? Good. I'm a super dad. That's why it's going good. I'm not, and it hasn't always gone, gone well. I'm, I'm thankful for, for many of you that's just been a safe place, just, just to be real here. It's not going well with your kids right now, and it's forfeiting the grace that could be yours to not open up to some other people and say, I need you to pray for him right now. He's in a tough season. He's in a tough stretch, and so it, it is not where it needs to be. Would you pray for him? You see, we need to be done pretending. Some of you today, it's, you're, you're just overwhelmed with some issues. I mean, Alcohol is controlling your life, and nobody knows that you're functioning. It's not costing you your job, but, but every evening you come home and you're controlled by it, and you go, okay, wait a minute, wait a minute, here you go again. This, what's your, this is my problem with you Baptists. You always want to bash alcohol. No, 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 we don't. I eat too much. That's my problem. I'm guilty, right? Somebody say that. I got that. That's why you sweat so much. You want to know the truth. Here's the problem. If I'm under the influence of something else, I, it's harder for me to follow the prompts. Do you see that? It's harder for me to follow the prompts when I'm under the influence of something else, and I want that for you more than this. You see, we've always just been against something. No, we're not just against something. We're for something far greater, and I want you to experience that. Do you see? But, but you've got to stop pretending and be real and be honest. You're only as sick as your secrets. That's what recovery ministry says, and that's really a good thing. You're only as unhealthy today as your secrets. That's why we confess our sins to the Lord and to a trusted friend. That's how we get free. That's how we're unleashed. Here's the next question today. Why does God strike them dead? Is that weird to anybody? Don't pretend. Is it weird? Like, man, I don't understand that. Why does God strike them dead? Well, let, let's look at a couple things. Number one, in your, in your notes, uh, uh, the miracles in Acts sort of kickstart the movement. We'll talk about that more in a couple weeks. But the miracles in Acts, watch this, watch this. The miracles in Acts. And would you say that 
a husband and a wife come in, their sin is exposed, and they both fall dead instantly after their sin is exposed, and Simon Peter, knowing what their sin was, do you think that was a miracle or just a coincidence? Nobody wants to talk. I think it's a miracle. But does God do that with everybody when they sin? Every time we've lied in church, does God strike that person dead? You're here and so am I, so I guess not, right? <laughs> the miracles and acts were glimpses into eternity. Not like last week with Simon Peter healing the lame man. Not every person in Acts gets healed. Not every person in the new, not every person in your life gets healed. When someone did, does get healed, it's a glimpse. And what is a glimpse? It is God taking something that is true in the kingdom and putting it on display now. Like, do you, do you understand that one day when we step into the kingdom, we'll receive our glorified bodies so there, there, there won't be any other physical ailments? Do you believe that? Isn't that good news? It will be a total healing. And so that happening is a glimpse to what it's going to look like in the kingdom. But now let's fast forward to Ananias and Sapphira. It's a glimpse that one day what's coming? Judgment is coming. Do you see that? That's the way it's going to be in the kingdom. One day you will stand before God, and that judgment is final. And so it is a glimpse, and this is a warning to the church. It's a warning to me that, you know what, I need to quit pretending because God's serious about it. And here's another reason why they die, because God is, is, loves his church and is jealous over his church. I wish we could talk about this for hours today. Do you understand the greatest threat for any church is not outside, it's inside? Do you see that? That's the threat. Listen, when I leave this place singing and praising that Jesus is Lord, but I walk out of this place and I don't live like he is Lord with my life, that is a threat that damages the movement. Do you understand? It damages the church, and God is showing that he wants a healthy church, and he's showing how serious he is about sin. Now, I, I think most New Testament stories have an Old Testament parallel story. I want to end with this. I want to end with this. There's a story in Joshua chapter 7. The children of Israel are coming into the promised land, and they're having to take captive these cities that are there, fortified cities. The first city that they take captive is the city of Jericho. Remember singing about that as a kid? Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, and the walls came a tumbling down. Yeah, I still remember that, right? And, and so, so Jericho, I've been there. Big fortified city. So now the Israelites, God's using them. Jericho falls, and they're ready. They're off and running. So they go to the next city, which is Ai. So Jericho is kind of like Nashville in size. Ai is like going to Walter Hill. And so they're like, man, we were victorious. And if you live in Walter Hill, I'm sorry, it's just an illustration. We, we were successful in Nashville like Walter Hill. We got this. And so they, do, they go to Ai, and, and they get it handed to them. And they're coming back after losing, I think, 35 men. Their bodies are strung out. They run back, and, and they're panicking. And Joshua goes before God and says, God, what gives? Where were you? I mean, you, you, you were there in Jericho. We were victorious. And now in Ai, what happened? And God says, bring all the 12 tribes of Israel before me. Bring out Judah, the, the, one of the tribes of Judah. Pull them out. Bring them out by clans. I'm going fast because I don't have much time. And then finally he gets down to one man, Achan. He says, bring Achan before me. Joshua brings Achan before him. He says, Achan, what's in your tent? The men go back, and in Achan's tent, they dig, and they find three things, some gold, some silver, and a garment that he had taken from Jericho. God had been clear that they were not supposed to take anything for their own, and he disobeyed the Lord 
And Achan's sin, Achan's pretending, cost the children of Israel on the battlefield at Ai. Listen to me. You're either contender or a pretender. Can I ask you a really important question today? What's hiding in your tent? What's hiding in your tent that is keeping you from the freedom that God desires for you to have? Pretending will kill you. Here's the irony. Listen, here's the irony. If you'll uncover it, but being honest about it, God will cover it by his grace. But if you keep it covered, it'll be uncovered. That's Ananias and Sapphira's story. Nobody wants that. Nobody wants that. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. That's real, isn't it? That's not pretending. That's who I am apart from Christ. But being honest about that, God gives me a whole new identity. And then in verse 2, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear." Some of you here today have never, ever fallen in love with King Jesus because you've never felt any fear. And today, for the first time, seeing this story in Scripture, it's gripped you. It's a warning shot. And it is grace, God's grace, that teaches your heart to fear. But listen, listen, listen. You don't have to stay in the storm of your fears. God has made a refuge. He has made a shelter that you come under. It is the cross of his son, Jesus Christ, who took the punishment for you so you could be forgiven. Do you see that? Listen. The most dangerous pretending in the world is you to live all your life pretending that Jesus is Lord when everything in your life says he's not. You can fool some people here on Sunday morning, but you're not fooling him. Never have, never will. I just wonder if today the pretending stops for some of you. I wonder if today for those of you who are here who are believers, there's some stuff hidden in your tent that no one knows about and it's keeping you from being free, would you be honest today? Would you uncover it right now before the Lord? Just as Achan pulls back the bottom of his tent and there it is, God, here it is. You've known it all along and I offer it to you. I repent of this sin. I turn away, Lord. I'm ready to contend for the faith. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Father, would you do that in and through us for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed this message, we'd like to invite you to one of our Sunday morning services. We meet at 820, 940, and 11 a.m. If you would like more information or would like to watch or listen to more of our services, please visit us online at newvisionlive.com. This broadcast is brought to you by New Vision Baptist Church, where our mission is guiding people to lives of gospel transformation.